I've been debating all weekend the right way to start today's show. What is the right way here on a Monday in mid-May to do this? Because we're going to do some things this week that have never happened. I'd argue in the history of WOFX, 95.9, And don't forget if you're driving around the capital region, that preset HD radio 1031-2. Beautiful quality. Shout out to Dave Hurt Engineer for doing that. So 95.9, 980 or that preset 1031-2 on the HD, the newer vehicles. I've been debating how to start today's show, because not only in the history of WOFX, but in the history of the LeVac and Gaz show, we haven't done something like this before. If you've been following my partner, my pal, LeVac, on social media, you know that over the course of the next few days, he is in Disney. He is in Orlando. He's had this trip planned for months with his wonderful daughter. Now, it is the year 2023, though. Now, although LeVac is in Orlando, that does not mean you will not hear his voice over the next five days. We've got New York sports to talk about. We've got local issues to talk about. I'm sure he wants to give his recap of what's going on in beautiful Florida. So fear not. If you're looking forward to hearing takes from LeVac and interviews with LeVac, he is still going to be here. Thank you to technology. You're still going to hear his takes. Now, with that theme of Disney, though, surrounding this week's show, I wondered here on this Monday, the best way to open the show, besides talking about Disney and how wonderful LeVac's enjoying his time on vacation, should I open with the good news in New York sports or the bad news in New York sports? We've already had enough on a Monday, so I'm opting to go with the good news from this past weekend, but to put New York sports fans in a good mood, let's talk about the New York Yankees splitting the series with the Tampa Bay Rays, Aaron Judge. Yeah, missing for that early part of the season. Yankee fans wondering when he was going to come back. We get the news just last week that Big 99's back in the lineup, and he delivers. Aaron Judge, two home runs in that six-run comeback over the weekend when the Bronx Bombers take down the Rays 9-8. to And in the most recent matchup, what, it's just a few feet away for potentially having another one? Ball caught way back. Aaron Judge, the final fly out to center field, the final out of the game. It could have been something different. But the Rays and the Yankees split that four-game set, two games apiece. And the Yankee fan, I know some of these words I'm about to say usually never enter your vocabulary. Satisfied. Settle. Not first place good enough. All three of those are hard to swallow. You don't want to swallow one of them. But just take a step back. For me, if you can, Mr. Pinstripe Pants himself, I'm not looking at him today, and I'm sure he'd be yelling and screaming at me because none of those things Yankee fans want to do, settle, not be in first place, be satisfied. But that's pretty good. A two-game set, a two-game set in either direction and four overall in that series. It could have been 3-1 with no comeback. It could have been swept how this series had begun. Think about how much worse it could have been here on this Monday for New York sports fans. If the Bronx Bombers got smacked by Tampa and that basketball team, we'll get to in a little bit, also got knocked out. Yankee fan, be happy with what just happened there. The Yankees took two of four against Tampa. You're still within striking distance. For our favorite investors, we'll say, if you like to invest in the games like you know LeVac and I do, the Yankees are still in that top five to six mix to win the American League, depending on what sports book you use. So everyone's not counting out the Yankees yet. Oh, and by the way, 
if you want a little bit more positive here on this Monday, the Yankees do not sit in last place. That is the Boston Red Sox. And you'll hear from our friend Brady Farkas, Capital Region native, Shin High School graduate. He's been covering the Red Sox for years out of the New England area. Brady's going to join us in less than an hour to talk about the Red Sox. But New York Yankee fans, all right. Things are improving. Things are getting better. You're eight games back now from the Rays. You have something to celebrate in some ways. The team's improving. Aaron Judge is playing well. And it's not as bad as it was two weeks ago. Not as bad as it was last week. Yankee fans rejoice on a Monday. Good things to come for the Yankees. More positive things on the way. And you get Toronto in an AL East matchup coming up. Where all of a sudden you can start chipping away a little bit at Toronto's lead on you in the AL East. And then you look forward to the schedule. You get Baltimore coming up. Are my O's for real? They're fun to watch. Cedric Mullins with the cycle over the weekend. The crowds are hot at Camden Yards. Kevin Brown hopefully will be joining us later here in the month, a broadcaster. He's having the time of his life. But maybe the Yankees are a little better still. Yeah, that's very possible. So Yankee fans, positives to look forward to. You took some games from the Rays. You've got matchups where you can chop away at the AL East. Aaron Judge is playing great baseball. And you know what the team needs to improve going forward. So there's the positive start to here on a Monday. People are enjoying the nice weather. People are on vacation. The Yankees are winning. I wish I could have that for a full two hours. Life is good in the 518. Life is good for the Capital Region sports fan. I wish I could keep that theme going. But I'm sure many thought we would open with the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks season has ended. 96 to 92 losers in game six of the Eastern Conference semifinals to the eighth-seeded Miami Heat. Levac and I were texting back and forth during this game. The Knicks had their opportunities in that fourth quarter. Jalen Brunson did about as much as he could to keep that team in it. And there was almost something that happened in that game that Knicks fans maybe not have seen since the 90s were in a playoff game. The Knicks got something to go in their favor. I was ready to start having the social media post call it the Empire Elbow, where Jalen Brunson gets the elbow to the face, the free throws, the ball back. The Knicks have an opportunity to have a massive comeback late in the game. This could have been, as we talked about it on Friday, a franchise-changing win if New York would have been able to go on the road in South Beach and beat the Heat. That's what could have been. But instead, the free throws go in. Jalen Brunson tries to make a play in a double team, tries to force a pass. He's got a shooter outside he doesn't trust. Great defense by Miami. Ball's turned over. And that's the end. 96-92. Miami advances to take on Boston for a shot at the NBA Finals. The criticism's going to fall on Julius Randle. In that Game 6 performance, just 15 points. One of seven from beyond the arc. Three of 14 from the field. Years ago, remember that series with the Hawks and the Knicks? Where New York Nick fan can go back and say, ah, you know, if Julius Randle had a little bit of help against Atlanta, the guy can't do it by himself. The guy can't beat Kevin Herter and company by himself. Imagine how much better the New York Knicks could be if Julius Randle got some weapons around him. Ah, this, this is the guy. He is him, as the internet likes to say, talking about superstars. 
Well, the Knicks went out and found Randall some help. They got Jalen Brunson. R.J. Barrett, who, think about this, the way the sports world has gone. Isn't R.J. Barrett poised to have a better career than Zion Williamson and Ja Morant? That's going to be an interesting topic for the rest of the summer. But R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Jalen Brunson, there are younger guys who are developing, and more importantly, the Brunson move, there's the guy you want around Julius Randle. It's not even debatable anymore that Jalen Brunson is the best player on the Knicks. And Julius Randle's not the guy. Simple, easy, soft at times. I won't rip Randle too much like others have done over the last 48 to 72 hours. But we just have to accept he's not going to be Patrick Ewing. He's not Walt Frazier. He's not this next great Nick legend who's going to take the team to the next level. He's a fine player in the NBA. Third team all NBA selection this season. He's good. He's not the Greek freak. He's not Jimmy Butler. He's not Jokic. So Nick fan, I think we all have to accept this at this point. Julius Randle's a nice player. He is not going to get this team to an NBA championship. Three of 14 in the game that mattered the most. When the ball went in his hands, he wasn't making plays. He's got a limited skill set from one for seven from beyond the arc, and we've known that for years. That's it. So what's the play now, though, if you're a Nick fan? Can't trade Randall because he's kind of been exposed now in the postseason. Is there a team that's pounding down the doors to get Julius Randall? The Lakers are interesting, right? It could be, it could be the Lakers. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Lakers have already done this with Julius Randle. I mentioned him because how Anthony Davis could play against Jokic, and if he needs a big body down, that's not the right spot. Boss, they don't need it. All the teams that have already gotten further in the playoffs that you can make an argument to have Julius Randle, they don't need him because they've gotten further than the Knicks. So trading them is going to be tough. Adding a superstar is going to be tough. Who's it going to be? We're going to have another summer of people screaming for Damian Lillard to come to New York. Lillard and Brunson? Is, is that okay? You mentioned Zion. He actually got healthy. How different the world could have been. But Knicks fans, this is it. You had your opportunity to take down Miami. You leaned on the guys you built the roster with. That's a hell of a lot better than other New York Knicks rosters we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years. There it was right in front of you. Julius Randle's got to make some plays. Jalen Brunson's got to make some plays. Brunson did it. I thought R.J. Barrett was okay in this series. He's up and down, but he's okay. In some games, he was really good, but he only had 11. I felt for you, Knicks fans. I thought about coming on with like some depressing music, something to just totally bring down the mood of the Knicks season. Expectations just two weeks ago, once Miami upset the Bucs, it was that, oh my God. Like We could see a New York versus Boston Conference Finals, the Celtics versus the Knicks. It could happen. It could be real. Nick's the favorite in the series. They had everything in place for him. All right, Randall, go make a play. Jalen Brunson, go do it. Tibbs, let's see if you could out-coach Eric Spolster, who's got multiple NBA championships under his belt and is having arguably the best coach in the NBA now. I get Greg Popovich is there, but the Spurs aren't very good. Spolster's been tested just as much, if not more, than anybody else now left in the playoffs. It wasn't good enough. Is the future bright in New York? Is it better than it's been in the past? No doubt. But if you think this roster with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Grimes, and Top, and you know the names we've gone over and over throughout this month, it's not good enough at this point. And how you improve, Luca's not coming. 
Who do you find is the next big body? We're going to have to figure it out. It's not going to be that easy to all of a sudden yell and scream from the rooftop, we need so-and-so. Because if Julius Randle's on this roster and you consider him the number one guy, it's not going to work. If you can make Randle your third option, okay, maybe. Second option after Brunson, even that's going to be pushing it. He just got exposed in the postseason. I want to come on and celebrate the Knicks season. I want to say, you know what? This Knicks team has gone further than any other Knicks team we've almost seen in the last 10-plus years since the days of the early 2010s with Carmelo Anthony. There's something that should be celebrated by this Knicks team winning the actual playoff series, getting to the semifinals of the Eastern Conference, pushing Miami, and having a chance to push it to a Game 7. I, w- I want to be more positive about the Knicks because they are getting better. They're improving and everything else. But that's not the attitude about Knicks fans today, and it shouldn't be. Because the hopes were up there. The dream was a lie for a New York basketball fan that this team could finally be that team. It had laid out perfectly for them. Yeah, they were going to get Boston in the conference finals. And Boston, we'll get to you in about 90 seconds here. But Boston was that team they were going to have an opportunity to face and see what they could do. And they didn't always look great in that opening round series of the Celtics. They were pushed. Nick fan, the offseason Don't get too hyped about Damian Lillard. Try to find out if Julius Randle can go to another team. Man, I keep keep thinking about Minnesota. Could Carl Anthony Towns for Julius Randle work? Could Anthony Edwards maybe be that guy? Could Minnesota be the team with Anthony Edwards closing in on superstar status? Imagine Edwards and Brunson figure out a deal to make that happen. Maybe Minnesota thinks they can be the ones, though, who can eventually take off the Western Conference. That's the team I would tell you to look out for upcoming over this summer that maybe Minnesota could be the trading partner for the Knicks to improve that team. Oh, by the way, Boston and Philly. I told you when we signed off on Friday, I said if I had two bets for you, I would take the Red Sox money line. That was my play of the day thanks to Mohawk Chevrolet. That absolutely stunk. But I told you if that line is going to sit at six and a half for the Celtics and the Sixers, you got to put the house on Boston. Boston's not going to beat Philly on Sunday. They're going to smack the Sixers. You might have watched the game. You might have saw highlights on Mother's Day. Boston destroyed Philly. Jason Tatum, who could have predicted, hopefully everybody, that after that horrible 13 for 14 miss, one of 14 to start in game six, that he had something to prove in game seven. And he did that. As for Philadelphia, I saw this from Ken Schott here locally. I'm going to give him credit for this take on social media. Ken Schott said, RIP to trust the process. That's exactly right. If you've been following the trust the process method, if you've been seeing exactly what's going on with the rebuild in Philadelphia, that is dead, done, over. The rebuild never worked. Philly never even got to an Eastern Conference Finals the last 20 seasons. If you're a Philadelphia sports fan and you want to blame Doc Rivers for the loss, rightfully so. I don't get the Doc Rivers thing. I never I never understood it. He blew this series with the Clippers during the COVID year. He didn't catch a lot of heat. Oh, yeah, he did. He got fired. The Boston Celtics team that had Pierce and KG and Ray Allen. Only one championship. But time in and time out, Doc Rivers gets another opportunity. You could even argue he failed up from going from the Clippers to the Sixers. So what did Doc Rivers do in this series that all of a sudden put Philadelphia in a better spot to win? 
I don't have the answer for that. I know from the moment of that tip-off, that seemed like Boston all day. Joel Embiid, I saw the social media comments, and I don't even know if it's even real or if they've just been trying to pump up the MVP stuff for Embiid that says we can't do it by ourselves. It can't be me and Harden and everything. They've given Joel and Joel and B can't start pointing the finger. They've given this guy every chance to have it. They had Ben Simmons at one point. They brought in players. They did that. Eventually, the ownership's got to be on Embiid and the Sixers front office. Maybe he isn't the guy either. I know he won the MVP, but Philadelphia got smoked. Hopefully for the sake of sports that trust the process thing for your team being historically bad for years and then flipping around and not having it pay off is better for the sports. They don't have to see terrible basketball from teams on the court. But we're going to get Boston and Miami. Should be a really good Eastern Conference Finals, although I think Boston might run away with this unless Miami wins early in this season. This could be a five-game set unless Miami is able to grab one in the first two home games for Boston in Game 1 and Game 2 coming up. And in the Western Conference Finals, we've got the Nuggets and the Lakers. Could be more even. That could be a seven-game series. So much good basketball coming. New York fans, I know you were hoping the Knicks were going to be in it. That's not the case. Yankee fans, life is not so bad. I'm sure we'll talk some Mets later on as well. We've got a packed show on a Monday in May. Now, even though you haven't heard LeVac's voice quite yet, you're going to hear it coming up because our pal from Sports Illustrated, Matt Verneram, joins us. So if you're a Bills fan, Jet fans, Giant fans, The schedule's out. Matt's become famous for going through the entire schedule, week one to now week 18, all the way to the Super Bowl and making picks. We're not going to do that. We don't have that much time today. We're not going to have him go game by game by game. We do want to still entertain you, but we're going to look at how it laid out for the New York teams, what New York teams may have been discouraged by their schedule drawn, which New York teams can benefit what teams to look out for when you're talking about the 2023 regular season in the NFL could maybe surprise some people. And I will do my best to force him into a Super Bowl pick. All that's on the way coming up. You're listening to LeVac and Gaz right here on WOFX 95.9 and 9.80, the voice of the Capital Region sports fan. How about elevating your brand with my friends at Elevation 10,000? LeVac, you're with you. And when I talk about elevating your brand, it's the things that you may not think of, or maybe it's a couple things you did think about, but you didn't think of the whole package and how you can take where you are and leave that in the dust and go way all the way up. Elevation 10,000 can do it all for you, whether you're talking about the apparel you wear in the office, apparel you sell, uniforms for Little League, signs, uh, marketing. They do marketing. They're an award-winning video facility. They do videos for companies, whether it be for promos or commercials, and they have a wall of awards for what they've been able to do. The beauty of it is, is it's soup to nuts, man. Top to bottom, whatever you need to elevate your brand, Elevation 10,000 is going to be able to help you do just that. They even help you with a strategic marketing plan made just for you and your company. Signs, apparel, marketing, video, audio. If you need to elevate your brand, you need to get a hold of Elevation 10,000. Fox Sports Radio 95.9 and 9.80. Right now, LeVac and Gaz joined by a good friend of ours from Sports Illustrated. It's Matt Verderam. And you thought we were gone. You thought you'd never have to deal with us again. We're, we're literally back on the radio, Matt, just to harass you. Well, you know, there have been worse things that have happened to me in my life. Not too many, but <laughs> a few. <laughs> the schedules are out and they, like, they leak and everything before. So you kind of have an idea of the bigger games. But... What was your main takeaway so far? Do you see any of the franchises you think got hosed by the schedule makers? Anybody who got a big favor? What was your big takeaway? You know, I, I think it all depends on how you look at it. Look, this this time too in, in the leagues, 
uh, I guess, recent era. Now you have these unbalanced schedules. You, have, you know, some of these teams have eight home games and nine away, which is the case of the NFC this year. So for the NFC, you're always going to have stretches of, of games where you, you have a three-game road trip because you play more road games. The Giants have a ridiculous schedule to start the year. I think it's like seven out of ten to start the year on the road. That is, that is tough. Like if you're the Giants and you even go five and five through those first ten games, you can throw it to death. Um, yeah, they, they they have a real gripe. And then you know, look, you look at the AFC side of things. Um, I, now, some of this you already knew because you already know who the, the teams are going to be playing. You just didn't know the the, the when, but. You know, the, the Bills, I thought, look, their schedule's already ridiculous. I mean, they have to play the AFC West. They've obviously got to play the AFC East. They have to play the NFC East. You can make a real argument those are the three best divisions in the NFL, or the AFC North might have something to say. And then on top of that, the Bills lose a home game to go play in London against Jacksonville, which is basically a home game for the Jaguars they play over there every year. And Jacksonville is playing in London the week prior so they're going to be just sitting there waiting for Buffalo. I think the Bills, you can make a real case the Bills have the hardest schedule in the NFL this year. With how difficult the Giants' schedule is and how difficult the Bills' schedule is, and I know you in the past you've looked at this and been able to break down, should the fan bases of both those teams even be worried enough that they could miss the playoffs because of how tough it is? The Giants could. Uh, you know, and, I, and I like the Giants. I think the Giants, you know, I know some people are like, well, are they flew, so they're not a flu. I, I think the Giants are really well coached, but I do think that that division is really tough. I mean, Dallas and Philly are two of the best teams in the league, obviously Philly defending conference champ, uh, you know, and the Giants. I mean, when you're talking seven ten games on the road, start the year, I don't care if you're an upper echelon team. That's a really tough schedule, let alone a team that you're kind of still trying to find your way into that contender's window, in my opinion. Now, that all said, here's the benefit that the Giants have. The Giants play in a conference where Vanderbilt might be the fifth seed this year. So <laughs> that that bails them out. The Bills, I don't see a world unless they're hurt where the Bills don't make the playoffs. I will say this, though, that division, you know, everybody's talking about Aaron Rodgers. I'll tell you what, I think the biggest offseason addition of any team this year was Vic Fangio for the Dolphins defense coordinator. That team is going to play defense. I think they're the best team in that division. Um, if two is healthy, which, of course, is a massive question mark, but – I think the Bills, like, they could, they could even be better than they were a year ago and still have a worse record because their schedule is just that difficult. Yeah, the East is is insane. Is is Aaron Rodgers enough to, you know, kind of level the gap between the Bills and the Jets? You know, so I picked all the AFC records over on SI. I think it went up this morning, or actually it went up uh, Friday morning. Um. I had them, I had the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins all eleven and six. Wow. I mean, I, I just think now part of that is the Bills are playing a first place schedule. Okay, the Jets are playing a last place schedule. So, for those who don't understand that, essentially, if you win your division, you play all the other inter, you know AFC division winners from a year ago. Where for the Jets, they're playing all these teams finish in fourth place. I think the Bills are a better team than the Jets, but because of the way the schedule lays out. I actually think they could end up being just about even, if not even. Miami, Miami's playing a second-place schedule. I think Miami and Buffalo are neck and neck. Again, if two is healthy and he can play. Um, that all said, look, the one question I have with the Jets is their offensive line. I mean, everybody talks about Rodgers and the defense. That's all fine. Their tackles are a real concern. 
Like that's a that, that's a potential season killing problem for the Jets because Rodgers is not 28 years old anymore. He's not going to be able to scramble out of a bunch of pressure. Um, I think the weapons are good enough, especially with Garrett Wilson there. Uh, I think the defense will do its job, but that is the big concern I have. Is it just going to be one of these things against a really good pass rush where the Jets struggle? Matt Verderam, NFL Insider. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Verderam. And hear him right here on Fox Sports Radio 95.9 and 980 with us, Levin Goss. Yeah, we've seen the NFL schedule in the past build traditions, whether it's the Thanksgiving Day games, whether it's that first kickoff on a Thursday involving the defending Super Bowl champions. In 2023, we get games on New Year's Eve. We get a marquee game on Christmas Day. We get the Amazon Black Friday game. Matt, do you see some of these new 2023 dates likely staying on the schedule for the future? It'd be nice if the NFL would give me one holiday to enjoy. Um, but they didn't consult Matt Verderam about this. So, you know, shockingly, I was expecting a call from Raj any moment. Um, look, I, I mean, yeah, the Black Friday thing's here to stay. Because at this point, with the way America consumes, I mean, that's a national holiday on the same level, I think, at Christmas at this point. Um, Christmas, yeah, the, the, the game's there only because it's a Monday so they just turned it into, well, we'll just have a, you know, three pack of games. Um, whereas I think if Christmas fell on like a Wednesday or something, I don't think they'd have any games there. New Year's Eve just happened to be a Sunday this year. Um, I think as long as, you know, New Year's Eve is a Saturday, Sunday, or a Monday, they're going to play games there. So I think it just kind of fell in a way to some extent where it just worked out perfectly for the NFL. And they could, they could you know, I mean, they, they have every single thing covered, like you guys said, I mean, obviously Thanksgiving, but then you have Christmas and you have New Year's Eve and you have New Year's Day and you have, you have Black Friday and, um, you know, I mean, even, not that it's a holiday, but it's obviously a notable event. I mean, you have 9-11, which is a Monday night, which is going to be a game in New York with the Jets and the Bills. So um, any notable date, they pretty much have covered from Labor Day through New Year's. Uh, but I think a lot of it, like the Black Friday stuff, I mean, Amazon's going to want that forever because it's an easy, easy uh, day where a lot of people are home the Friday after Thanksgiving, and you can just rack up the, the ratings. I mean, there is no business like the NFL. If they put a game, I firmly believe this, if they put a game on at 10 o'clock in the morning Eastern time on a Wednesday, 20 million people would watch the game. <laughs> what they'd call out of work? They don't. They all just stop working and sit around the break room watching. Like it's just it, that. That's what the sport has become in the United States. Matt Verdram with us, and, and Matt, you know, you are a Chiefs fan, and that's something to be proud of. I'm a Raiders fan. That's something I'm trying to hide from a lot of people. But <laughs> these teams don't like each other. The rivalry is back. The Raiders have been punks to the Chiefs. The Chiefs did the ring around the the rosy thing, breaking the huddle to mock the Raiders back. Yep. Are, are are the Nickelodeon kids going to see some fist fights on Christmas? First of all, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Enjoy your Christmas. Uh, <laughs> the Raiders go in and give up 55 points at Arrowhead on Christmas. Um, I, I'm hoping for yeah, some better so, things. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw that game come out and immediately thought to myself, like, if you're a Raiders fan, that's just have fun, guys. Christmas, 45 to 10. Um, I, you know what? It's a great rivalry. It dates back to the 60s. It has been a great rivalry. But, you know, it's, I don't know how you feel. Of course, you're, you're so close to being a Raiders fan. I just – I see the Raiders doing what every other team has done that has had a, a coach come out of New England, where they just bring in everybody who ever played for New yes. England. Yeah. Like, it's just – I actually wrote about this for SI, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago, where if you look at, like, when Matt Patricia went to Detroit, they literally brought in a 
third of their active roster was from New England. A third of it. Like, Joe Judge, bring in Patriots. Whatever it takes, just bring them all in. And now you look at the Raiders, and it's like, I, I almost wonder, did they even have a conversation about bringing anybody who's not from New England? Or are they like, look, Jimmy Garoppolo, did he play for New England? Absolutely, bring him in. Philip Dorsett, yep, he checks that box, bring him in. Jacoby Myers, pay him like he's Jerry Rice. It doesn't matter. Bring him in. He plays for New England. Like Matt, we're even selling the like, team. We're even selling the team to people from New England now. That's what we're doing. Yeah, like it's honestly, it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter. Like if the guy can perform or stay healthy, and I like Jacoby Myers and Myers the player, but like they, there's just this this odd thing when you come out of New England. And look, I, I, you mentioned I'm a Chiefs fan. Like, I remember when Scott Pioli went to the Chiefs. And they just immediately brought in, like, washed up Mike Vrabel and Matt Castle. And, like, they, they just – it didn't matter. As long as the guy had played for the Patriots, that was good enough. Um, I, I think it's going to be uh, – I think it's going to be an interesting season for the Raiders. But I, I look forward to that Christmas Day game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my fear is the kids. They tune in for, you know, Patrick Starfish to help break it down. And the Raiders, uh, you know, to your point, I don't know if we can win the game. So they might try to win some fights. These kids are going to learn some things. Well, you know what? Sometimes the kids have to learn some things, and you know, it's, you know, they're going to they're going to turn on that game. And uh, you're right; they probably are going to see some pushing, some shoving, maybe some bad sportsmanship. Um, that's fine. I mean, it's you know, listen. I know, I know, we live in the day and age where everything's got to be perfect and yeah. nice and sweet, yes. and that's fine. That's fine. Not saying I'm against that, but at the same point, sometimes you got to turn on a game and see somebody cussing somebody out at the 50 yard line. That's that's football, so they're probably going to get plenty of it on Christmas. Merry Christmas again, everyone. Make sure to tune in to Nickelodeon this year. Matt, do you see a team now early, so early, probably too early for me to even ask this, but I'm going to do it anyways, a team that struggled in 2022 and because of the, what they've done in the offseason and how the schedule lays out, that they could be that surprise team that gets into the playoffs in 2023? So... I've thought about this because somebody actually asked me this the other day, and I, I, it like kind of made me really churn my brain. I think Carolina is going to be a, a pretty good team this year. Um, when you look at the AFC and NFC Southern divisions, they're terrible outside of Jacksonville, right? Like I think most people feel that way. New Orleans is like somewhat interesting, but my reasoning is those two divisions play each other this year, so somebody's going to win a bunch of games, right? Like somebody's just going to like in those. In those games, because like no matter who you are, obviously you're playing your six interdivisional games, and then you play the air division. That's ten of your seventeen games, or just those two divisions. So somebody in the NFC South has got to do it. Look, I, I don't trust Dennis Allen. I just don't. I, I don't. I have no reason to think that he's capable of coaching the Saints for like twelve wins. I like Frank Reich. Evero's a really good defensive coordinator who got out of Denver with Carolina. Bryce Young is the leap of faith. I mean, I, I love his talent. I am worried about his size at the NFL level. But if you look at the Panthers, they've got some good young players. Like, that team actually does have some talent. I don't think the Panthers are going to the Super Bowl or anything. Don't get me wrong. But do I think they can win 10 games and maybe be a team that you look at and go, okay, they're interesting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, maybe Atlanta, although Ritter I, just, I have a lot of questions about, but I like their, their roster. I'll take Carolina. I think Carolina could be an interesting team. Matt Verderam with us uh, from Sports Illustrated. Matt, I've got this. I, I'm putting my picks together still, but I've kind of got a thing for Jacksonville. It would be kind of crazy if the two nine, class of 95 teams met in the Super Bowl. That would be pretty neat. 
that would also be science fiction, I think. But yes. Um, <laughs> Never let I, the truth get in the way of a good story, Matt. Come on. <laughs> listen, I like Jacksonville a lot. If Carolina gets to the Super Bowl, the NFC should be disbanded. Okay, and I and I just and I just pick Carolina to make the playoffs, and win that division, or at least think, I think they could. Um, if Carolina goes to the Super Bowl, I would be bored. But Jacksonville. Here's the thing, though. To your point about Jacksonville, again, the schedule's a joke. They play, they play six games in the AFC South. Against, I mean, they can legitimately go 6-0. Like, worst case, be 5-1. They play the NFC South. They could absolutely sweep those teams. Again, worst case, maybe like 3-1. and one. Even if the worst case is there, you're 8-2. and two. Now, they do have to play the Bills, okay? They do have to play the Bengals. They do have to play the Chiefs. Um, they, they, they play Baltimore. We'll see how hard Pittsburgh and Cleveland are. I mean, those are kind of the wild card type teams in the AFC. But... Jacksonville could easily win 12 games. And you look at that, and then that conference with how much those teams are going to beat each other up. Like, if Jacksonville wins the right combinations of games, they could be fighting for a number one seed. Now, I, I don't think they're better than the Bengals or the Chiefs. I don't. Uh, and I still think even the Bills and the Dolphins are a little more talented. But the Bills and the Dolphins are going to beat up on one another, along with the Jets and the AFC East. Um, you know, and the Bengals are going to have to fight in that really tough division. Even the Chiefs, I mean, look, they're, you know, they're, they got the Chargers in that division. It's not easy. Um, but Jacksonville, I'm with you on Jacksonville. Jacksonville, it would not shock me if they make a deep postseason run. In less than shocking fashion, LeVac has blamed me over the past few media rows and radio rows, worldwide pandemics, birth of children. We've not been there in a few years. But Just this selfish, year, guys. Just but, selfish. But this year it is in Las Vegas. Hopefully we'll be meeting up with you again very soon in a few months. But who are the teams? We put you on the spot again in May. Unfairly, <laughs> Matt Verneram. Give us your Super Bowl pick. That's why I can't believe they let you people back on the radio. Um, <laughs> so far. I mean, I guess if I had that, I, I, I'll be honest. I hate picking repeats because they just don't happen. So I won't pick a full repeat. I do think Kansas City, until somebody proves otherwise, they just did every year. I mean, they did three of the last four years. I'm just going to take them. I still think they're the best team in the league. They're the odds on favor in every book you can find. The NFC is harder for me. I love Philly, but there's a part of me that says, well, you know, do they, do they have another year like that? They did lose a lot in free agency. I'm going to do something that I will. You know what, guys? Here's I'm going to do something I'm going to instantly regret because I know that I know by like week three, I'm going to think, why? Why did I do this? I'm going to say the Cowboys. All right. I, I think the Chiefs and the Cowboys get this. I I have deep fear picking Dallas to do anything good in January, but I'll say Kansas City and Dallas in the Super Bowl. And if you made me pick a winner, I would take that. I would take Kansas City. I think Kansas City stole the best game in the league. Matt Verderam, check him out in uh, Sports Illustrated and, of course, on Twitter, at Matt Verderam. And hopefully Gaz does his job this year and uh, we're buying you a beer or 12 in, in Vegas for the big game. You guys should finally be worth knowing you. <laughs> a lot of regrets. Super Bowl pick for Dallas going on the show, Matt. We'll talk again soon. Goodbye. <laughs> Take care. LeVac here for USX Pest Control, the non-chemical exclusion system is amazing i had tim from usx come out to the house he walked around he showed me where the potential problem spots would be and what we would need to do to make sure that i didn't have to worry about invasive you know little rodents and nastiness we went around the attic i learned about bats where they come from how you can tell whether or not they've been there mice in the basement how you can tell whether or not they've been there all these things and then 
get this, I find out one of the houses across the street has a termite problem. I called Tim over at USX Pest Control. Let him know. He said, here's why you're safe. A lot of concrete between you and that. However, we're going to go ahead and take a look and make sure it's okay. It is amazing how, how just better I feel, how much safer, how much just more relaxed I am with my house because of USX Pest Control, part of the Gagne family of brands. You may remember Cat's Eye Pest Control. Well, now it's USXPest.com. Some of you might know this music playing behind me right now. Some may not. That is Ja Rule and Ashanti. And it feels like Ja Rule and that name lives up, at least the attitude over the last 20 years, about another Ja, and that's Ja Moran of the Memphis Grizzlies. So a little backpedal here before we get into this. By the way, LeVac Goss, as you just heard there, LeVac is in and out of the show today. He is remote content creating from Orlando, so you'll get some more LeVac throughout the week here. The story involves Ja Morant, superstar player for the Memphis Grizzlies, and Ja Rule. Well, again, backpedal a little bit. If you don't know who Ja Rule is, back in the early 2000s, Ja Rule was dominating the top 40 airwaves. Hits like that always on time with Ashanti, Jennifer Lopez, and more. He was the guy who was finding his way higher and higher up on the Billboard charts, making some money, and having that radio pop hit song. But it almost was this attitude that Ja Rule was crossing two different worlds of the cotton candy pop single to hip-hop and R&B. It was the first to have those worlds mesh. And the big criticism of Ja Rule's work and style came when 50 Cent came along and Get Rich or Die Trying. 50 Cent went at Ja Rule. Dissed him all over the place. Some would argue changed his career forever because 50 Cent wanted this new side of the field. He wanted to step over into the American pop culture world, having a relationship with Eminem, having a relationship with Dr. Dre, while still keeping his story of growing up on the streets live and popular and relating to an audience. Now, that's the music translation where 50 Cent was calling Ja Rule for the sake of me staying on the radio and not getting in trouble. Let's call him fake, not real, not authentic. 50 Cent talking about how he got shot. It doesn't get much realer than that. In this back and forth between who's real, who's authentic, what people care about, what people want to consume and more, fits perfectly for what's going on with John Morant. If you're not on social media, you haven't been following the story over the last 24 hours. John Morant has been suspended from all Memphis Grizzly team activities because of a video that's shown up online of, again, John Morant having a gun. These are now multiple incidents we've heard involving John Morant, whether it's him threatening a teenager to pick up basketball game, whether it's another video with John Morant having a gun. It's been over and over about this. I saw the debates, and I think I've heard some of these on GY coming up today. That some people have pointed to John Morant. Will Kane has said, whoa, whoa, whoa. John Morant can own a gun. Why are people freaking out about John Morant, an American citizen, owning a gun and showing his gun on social media? From what we've seen, he hasn't committed a crime. We don't know what legal permits he has within what states. It's just a guy with a gun on social media, and the world wants to freak out. And there are some people who believe that. Whoa. Just because he's a superstar and is doing something we're not comfortable seeing doesn't mean he's committing a crime. Maybe partially true. 
I understand that take, but it's not so much about that as it is to the why for me. Why do you want to be on social media toting the gun? Why do you want one of your friends to show you in a video with a gun? Who are you trying to impress? What are you trying to do? Look, if you're just hanging out with your buddies or you're doing something, I don't know, if we're not NBA players, we'll use this example. Maybe you're it's a Friday night and you're at the bar and a few of your buddies are having drinks. And you take a picture of one of your buddies having a swig of beer. Okay, I guess you could post it on social media. I'm not sure why. Maybe, hey, celebrating a graduation. Okay, not everything needs to be on social media. What are you trying to do? Fish for compliments? Show how tough you are? Mother's Day was yesterday. I love my mom. Love my wife. My sister's pregnant. I have a bunch of moms in my life, grandma, everybody. Well, one of the things that cracks me up every Mother's Day is when people post about their moms on social media, knowing that their mom is not on social media. So who is that for? Who, who's? You could just call your mom. Hey, mom, happy Mother's Day. What's going on? You could FaceTime your mom, take her out to breakfast. It's nice that she got a Facebook post. I'm not going to post about my mom on Instagram. She doesn't know what it is. So some of this is just for show. You know, like Ja Rule back in the day was hanging out with Jennifer Lopez and Ashanti. He was doing it for a show to say, hey, I'm popular with them. You should buy my music because I associate with these people. 50 Cent, call them out on it. Hey, man, you're fake. You're not authentic. You're not real. You're not living the lifestyle. You're not using the rap game the right way to tell a story and a message about people going through struggles. You think everything's great. I'm calling you out on that BS. And that's what people are doing to John Morant right now. Why is John Morant wanting to do this? If you want to own a gun, fine. But why do you got to keep showing it on Instagram? Who are you trying to impress in your comment section? And it's 2023. It's the second time I had to remind people what year it is. We all see it. You put it in a public forum, man. If you didn't want anyone to see it, you wouldn't post it. That's what I'm more concerned about with anything when it comes to John Morant. Earlier in the show, we mentioned that in that draft class, it was Zion Williamson, John Morant, and R.J. Barrett from the New York Knicks. Who would have ever thought that here in mid-May, R.J. Barrett was the number one, depending on what high school site you looked at, recruit in the country in that class. But it was clear as day in that draft class when the NBA draft rolled around that Zion was better and Ja was better. Ja's been basketball on the court performance-wise better than those two. Zion's barely played. Zion's gotten real fat. He's pounded down the desserts. I like Zion. I can't defend it anymore, man. Zion never played and still got paid. What a life. So Zion hasn't performed. We are at the point now with early Joel Embiid, Greg Oden, Christoph's Porzingis. My God, Zion's not even there at that point. And then John Morant, you're going to bet on the future of John Morant? I see the dunks. I see the skill set. I see what the guy can do. But Memphis played well without him. Go look at the numbers. That was around a 60-plus winning percentage without their quote-unquote best player. 
And I put that in quotes because Memphis has to start wondering that. Is this guy worth it? We know how good he is on the court. But is he going to get suspended? Is he going to get in trouble with the law? What's the showcase of this? Who is he trying to prove stuff to? Is he an idiot early 20-something that just wants to show how tough he is? What lifestyle he's living? Is that someone you want to invest your future in for the future of Memphis? So, look, Ja wants to go out and be publicly tough and flash the gun everywhere. We'll see how the NBA enforces that or checks up on him or see what law he is or isn't following when it comes to state regulations and where he's taking those videos. I can't bank on Zion playing anytime soon. So congratulations, RJ Barrett. Your team's gone the furthest. You've had the biggest impact in the postseason in comparison to those two guys. Knicks fans, how about that? It would have been awesome to get John Morant. Maybe you, the pun's too easy there, so I'll pass on that. You could have had Zion over Julius Randle, but Zion's never on the court. Yankee fan wants to criticize John Carlos Stanton and Jacoby Ellsbury and others in the past because they never played. My goodness, this guy never plays. I'm worried about John Morant. Not because of the people he's hanging out with, because I don't know them and I don't know their past and there hasn't been enough research done of who those people are. I'm not worried so much about him just owning a gun. I'm worried about him wanting to put it in a public form and say, look at me, look at me, look how tough I am. Look what I can do. It's like Stewart from Mad TV in the past. Fishing for compliments or acceptance or something else. I want to root for him because he's so good. I've called John Moran a mix between Vince Carter and Derrick Rose. And in a world where you're sometimes become popular because of the highlights that pop up on TikTok, John Moran puts on a show. But I don't want him in New York. I don't want to give him $200 million. I don't want him building a brand on social media. John Morant could be that next star. John Morant could be the next MVP of the league and the most exciting player, not just in the NBA, but all major professional sports in North America. That's how great his game is from the days of Murray State and on. But someone's got to talk to this dude and be like, you want to live your life? Fine. But everything doesn't need to get likes. You don't need to go get retweets and IG heart bubbles. You don't have to tell your buddies and share the video constantly, man. Someone just talk to John Morant and say, keep it off social. And you can make yourself a lot of money and get in the good graces with the league. All right, we got hour two coming up on the way. Our pal Brady Farkas, Capital Region's own, Shen High School's own. He's going to join us for the top four at four, thanks to Mohawk Honda. He's going to talk about the biggest stories with us. Plus, we got to talk Red Sox. we got to talk Celtics and more. That's on the way coming up. Slovak and Gaz right here on WOFX 95.9 and 9.80. The voice of the Capital Region sports fan. It is the top four at four. Brought to you by our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Mohawk Honda. Make sure to get your new vehicle. My sister-in-law now driving a minivan thanks to Mohawk Honda. Mohawk Honda in Glenville where they always go out of their way to please you. You know who's got love for the Mohawk family? This guy who's going to join us today for the top four at four. You might know him from Shen High School from way back in the day. You might know him from Albany Sports Talk Radio back in the day. Now he's crushing it out in New England. We bring on. It has been far too long since you've heard this voice in the Capital Region. The streak is over. He is back. 
Let's welcome in Brady Farkas. Brady, welcome back to the Capital Region Airways. It's been too long. It has been too long. Guys, good to talk with you. I'm I'm a little jealous. I'm sure LeVac is uh, somewhere, uh, you know, a couple loggers deep, a couple <laughs> porters deep. I kind of wish I were, but, uh, you know, it's good to talk with you. I miss LeVac, though. Good to be back. You know how to do this as well, let's just say. You've gone through these stories, top four and four style before. You hear the music. You know what you're doing here. So I'll go story number four for you, and here we go. Baseball, a sport you know very well. We've got a story today involving Bryce Harper who basically wants to take on the entire Colorado Rockies today. Harper loses it after that bat, screaming the former MVP, going nuts, his Phillies taking on Colorado. What do you make of this situation involving one of the best players in baseball having an absolute tirade over the Colorado Rockies? This is all because the reliever like clapped his glove too hard in the, uh, in the Phillies dugout direction. Yes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> One, I've never heard of the Rockies reliever, so I probably wouldn't be doing that. Also, the Rockies are in last place in the division. I also think they're the most irrelevant team in the sport. Not the worst, the most irrelevant team in the sport. So I don't know that I'd be looking to uh, to do this if I were the no-name reliever. That said, I kind of like it from Harper. I know people are, oh, what a knucklehead and blah, 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 and you should be better than that. I kind of like a guy making $300 million who's willing to say, you know what, I'm not too pretty and too proud to go out there and, and stand up for my guys. Look, he did, he, he'd been out since last October. He's got a lot of pent-up energy here coming back from the Tommy John surgery. I kind of like a guy who's willing to get into it a bit. Something about Bryce Harper always being crazy has just now has me shrugging my shoulders like, oh, Bryce Harper had an F-bomb tirade against another team. It was yelling and screaming. His hair was, oh, yeah, didn't he do that like a year ago? And then like three years ago, like this is his thing. And I don't know if that's an excuse. You know, we could do the thing like if you're a young baseball player, don't act like Bryce Harper. This is something you shouldn't be doing. But he's been doing this. It seems like his entire career that if you're going to sign up for Bryce Harper, this is what you're going to get. Look, I've heard I've heard enough of Bryce Harper to know that he's matured. I saw people saying, oh, Bryce Harper, hey, he hasn't really matured, has he? I've heard enough of Bryce Harper in the last several years to know that he has matured and he's not the same guy he was when you were watching him play for Syracuse in the minors, you know, a decade ago. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't advise my young baseball players to go charge someone's dugout. But I like the guy. Look, we hear too often enough about how the most, the highest paid player is always on the fringes of everything and doesn't want to get hurt. I like a guy who's in the middle of it. Look, no punches got thrown. He wasn't on the bottom of a scrum. But a guy who goes out there and shows he's willing to fight for his guys, especially as his team is underachieving and you know has been under 500 most of the year and has high expectations and spent a gazillion dollars on Trey Turner. I like a guy who's there to ignite a fire. I'm sorry, I do. It makes us feel old that it seems like not too long ago, maybe that the John Randall face paint, the Viking legend, was the biggest criticism Harper used to get about how much eye black <laughs> he used to wear. And now here we are. In this spring, talking about him. That's a clown question, bro. That's exactly right. (laughs) We move on to story number three. It involves former Indianapolis Colt and Atlanta Falcon quarterback Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is going to social media today to announce his next step in his career. He wanted to make sure he said it in this Twitter post. This is not a retirement post, but he's moving on to the CBS Sports Analyst role. He's going to be a part of both game broadcasts and studio work for NFL Today on CBS. He has not announced his retirement. Matt Ryan, two-part question here for you, Brady. One, how do you see him having a career as a broadcaster? And two, Hall of Fame quarterback, Matt Ryan, question mark? 
Uh, probably Hall of Fame quarterback Matt Ryan got to a Super Bowl, won an MVP. Probably excellent as a analyst needs to work on the personality. Like, you know, there you can deliver the information, and that's really important. You got to have a personality to go with it. I mean, you look at a guy like Dan Orlovsky, right, who's excellent, I think. He's got the information, but he's also got the ability to deliver it in a fun way. I don't. I never got that from Matt Ryan. Like, I've never seen Matt Ryan be fun. He's always just been stoic and businesslike and efficient and effective. He will be able to tell you what's going on in the telestrator. He will be able to diagnose a coverage. He will be able to make the listeners, the viewers smarter. And that's important. I don't see him, you know, right now at least, being all that fun. But they got broadcasting boot camps, and they'll have, you know, practice games and scrimmage situations for him in the preseason. So I imagine he'll get better, but I think the personality is the thing I would wonder about uh, more than anything. If I were him, I'd urge him to do it now because he's not seeing the field anymore in Indianapolis. That's just going to be Anthony Richardson from week one. So if I were him, I'd go and do it now. It's a lot safer and a lot more fun than me in the backup on the sideline for a bad team. From the broadcasting side of it, the bar has been raised over the last few years because of Romo. And I know some people want to criticize him criticize him now because of that second contract he got. How much Troy Aikman's getting paid by ESPN. I love Robert Griffin III. I think he's fantastic. He's nuts. I love it. You mentioned Dan Orlovsky. The quarterback trio and quartet and players you want to add to the mix of really good broadcaster, really good broadcaster. I would let him back off of the studio stuff and just let him do play-by-play, do the color commentary. Hey, here's what we saw on this play. That's okay. Like you mentioned, you've got to be a real character to do that studio everyday work. Maybe he'll be fantastic in a booth where he offers that insight and finds his own role. That second part you mentioned there about Anthony. Go ahead, Brady. Yeah. I guess I wonder when he's on the field, you know, when he's in a booth, what broadcast team is he on? Because I don't see him as, you know, broadcaster number one right now. But look, Trent Green to me is exactly what I'm thinking Matt Ryan is, right? Like smart, analytical, but doesn't have a ton of personality. If, If Matt Ryan was in the Trent Green, you know, booth number three role, I'd probably say no big deal. But if we're talking about for the number one role, he's going to have to get better. Yeah, and that's what we've seen. A lot of these players come right from the field into those big-time roles, and some people just aren't ready. It's like a rookie season for a new job. You've got to just find out what fits your style and more. As for his playing career, spot on about Anthony Richardson. He is going to be the quarterback for the future for the Colts. They've got a new head coach. That whole organization is now set up for Anthony Richardson to have some success. And let's remember about Matt Ryan last year. We've seen this with Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger. When you're bad, you're bad. Like, if you're a quarterback, Drew Brees, you have one bad season, it falls off fast. There were times last year, let's not sugarcoat with Matt Ryan, if there was a 15-yard passing play, he was giving you a solid 11.5-yard throw. There were a lot of bounces out of Matt Ryan last year where you kind of thought... Boy, we saw this with Rivers. We saw this with other old quarterbacks the Colts kept bringing in. I think he's toast. I think he's done. He's had a fantastic career, 15, 16 years in the NFL, like you mentioned, an MVP, a Super Bowl if they have the 28-3 lead. I would, If I have to ask if he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, I would lean towards no, but he is right on the fringe. I think his discussion about whether or not he's a Hall of Fame quarterback is closer than Eli Manning's just because Eli's two Super Bowls, relationship with the press, the family. I think his discussion for a Hall of Fame quarterback is far more fascinating than Eli's. I thought Matt Ryan was done years ago, and then he gets to the Super Bowl and and won the MVP and proved me wrong, and I guess maybe just having Kyle Shanahan as your OC 
was the reason for that. But, uh, you know, that can make anybody look good, as we saw with Brock Purdy, Jimmy Garoppolo, and others. But, um, yeah, I think Matt Ryan's done. I think he's cooked. Story number two involves the slate of games here in the Major League Baseball calendar. The Mets and Nationals just a few minutes away from getting their afternoon contest underway. Patrick Corbin, some Central New York love there on the mound for the Nationals. Peterson gets a start for the Mets. Ooh. The Yankees take on the Blue Jays. I'm going to get back to that comment you just made because that's very funny. You just said that. I don't know how many people caught what you just did. 707 first pitch there out in Canada for Blue Jays, Yankees, and right here on your home for Red Sox baseball, Fox 95, 9 to 980. Our coverage gets underway at 610 as the Red Sox host your Seattle Mariners. We're going to get to that Mariner Red Sox preview here in a second, what people can expect out of the Mariners tonight. But first, let's go back to that noise he made about Patrick Corbin, Nationals, Mets. Somebody who's not too far away from your age. Why were you grunting about poor Patrick Corbin? I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's gone from a guy who we wanted the Yankees to get for $175 million, $200 million to a guy who is toiling with an ERA, you know, around six or seven every year for the last three years at this point. It's a dramatic downturn for a guy who was, you know, one of the elite pitchers in the National League for a few years and a guy that, you know, again, the Yankee fans were disappointed. Boy, they dodged one there. There was an article on Syracuse.com, his hometown, my hometown, that called Patrick Corbin the worst starting pitcher in Major League Baseball in 2022. That was midway through the season. And although that's the hometown paper taking a shot at a hometown kid, the argument wasn't that bad. The numbers were that bad at that point for Patrick Corbin. So, yeah, he struggled. This is probably a time where I should release him from my fantasy baseball team. I'm not sure why I drafted him, but nonetheless, there he is on my roster. Uh, let's preview the Mariners and the Red Sox. What can Boston Red Sox fans expect out of this Mariner roster? They can't see you right now as we're doing this virtual in 2023. I believe you're wearing the Mariner hat. There's that S right I there. Am. There it is. That's not a Shen S. That is a Mariner S, which is more confusing. It's an M. Never mind. Go ahead. Scott, report on your Mariners. Uh, the team that pitches excellently and a team that doesn't hit particularly well. I mean, they're the bottom five of most key metrics offensively. Um, you know, they're, they're going to catch a break in this Red Sox series that these are the guys you want to see on the mound for the Red Sox, right? And we talk about Hauk today with an ERA over five and Pavetta and Bayo, the youngster. So, I mean, these are the guys to see if you're a team that can't hit. But the Mariners at the bottom of the league, in batting average they're near the bottom of the league in runs scored they don't walk very much they strike out a ton so they they don't they just don't hit the thing they do do is pitch excellently excellently they are maybe i saw john morosi the mlb network today said he thinks they're the best staff in baseball and or the best starting staff in baseball and that's with robbie ray the cy young winner from 2021 out for the year and still he thinks they have the top rotation in baseball so key for the red sox i think would be would be twofold one just pitch like you know just just pitch because the mariners don't take advantage like if, if Hauk doesn't walk the ballpark tonight they're not going to string together 10 hits so it's going to be a low scoring game just if Hauk throws strikes two the thing the red sox do really well is they don't strike out a lot they make pitchers work george kirby's on the mound today he throws nothing but strikes like he's i think he's got like two walks this season in seven starts or something he's like got the best control in all of baseball so He's going to have a low pitch count, but if the Red Sox can drive up his pitch count, force him into some long counts, maybe draw a walk or two, they're going to put the ball in play. And because he throws so many strikes, they're going to have a lot of chances to hit today. So, you know, I, I think the Red Sox have been swept twice this year previously. 
and then won three straight games. So since they got swept by St. Louis, they're going to go and sweep the Mariners. I'm going to be grumpy. <laughs> Story number one, we keep the Seattle theme going here for Brady Farkas because it's game seven tonight. Some of the best what words. Is this, a new show. This new show is talking hockey in the number one spot. <laughs> well, here's... what happened to Levesque and Gaz that I remember? <laughs> That's very funny you mentioned that because Levesque banned me, banned me on Friday. That there's no more hockey talk allowed in the top four at four. He said, this is the last hockey update we will give. We are done with the playoffs now that the Islanders, now that the Rangers are done. But here I sit with a Seattle sports fan in Brady Farkas. Are you a Kraken fan? And should we watch Kraken Stars game seven tonight with a puck drop at eight o'clock? Are you invested in crack Kraken hockey like you are in your Mariners? If your Supersonics were around. Uh, the Kraken. Why am I blanking on the other Seattle team Seahawks. right now? Thank you, the Seahawks. <laughs> I um, Am I invested? Not really. I'm invested in Game 7 because it's Game 7. I will watch some of it. I will be watching Mariners Red Sox much more prominently. And if it's 6 nothing Red Sox in the 4th, I will turn it over at 8 o'clock to turn on hockey. If the Mariners are winning, I will continue to watch baseball. Uh, I'm invested because it's Game 7. I actually was rooting for Edmonton out west because the uh, – Head coach at Edmonton is the brother of the UVM coach who I have a great relationship with. So I was hoping to see Edmonton advance out of the Western Conference. Interestingly enough, 30 years now it will be that a Canadian team has not won the Stanley Cup. An American team won a Grey Cup in the CFL more recently than a uh, Canadian team has actually won the Stanley Cup. There's your trivia for the day. The team from Baltimore won the uh, Canadian League title in 1995 in football. There you go, hockey fans. And Great cup football fans. There you go. You thought number one wasn't going to pay off. I've got some complaints, by the way. You mentioned the Edmonton game. I get we got Sunday night baseball and we got contracts with ESPN and everything else. It is killing me. That Edmonton game was what? 1030, 1045. I can't stay up. It was 10. My God, Brady. On a Sunday, it's Mother's Day. I got to go to bed. Well, that's just because you're old and boring now. I guess what <laughs> fatherhood has made you old and boring. You're up at five. So now you're in bed at 10. I mean, Look, they put the side-by-side on in Sunday Night Baseball in the ninth inning. They got everybody all riled up about that. Um, Look, it would have been great if the game was earlier. I get why it was. Reportedly, ESPN balked, and you know the NHL asked ESPN to put baseball on ESPN2, and they wouldn't do it. They wanted both games, and they wanted a lead-in for hockey. So that's interesting there in your uh, media tidbit here and the 1% of audience members that that care about that. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. I... I'm up late every day, so it gave me something else to watch. I did fall asleep at the end of the second period. Uh, you know, I had to realize this morning that Edmonton lost, and I was disappointed about it. But it didn't really bother me like it bothers you. I know. I act like I'm sleeping. I was up two and a half hours later changing a diaper. Just my focus. Yeah, that's right. I was watching. Thank God you have stuff on the menu. You know what, Brady? Do not leave. I want more Brady Farkas. I want more Brady Farkas here. We got more Fox with Farkas. We're going to start figuring out some cute, creative names here. Brady Farkas is not done. We've got questions about the Boston Red Sox. We've got questions about the Boston Celtics and more. He is not leaving quite yet. We've got more Brady Farkas on the way. LeVac, who knows? He might call us. He might all of a sudden pop up from MGM Studios and start yelling about, I said, no hockey in the top four at four. We'll figure out all that stuff on the way. You're listening to Fox Sports 95.9 and 980 on The Voice, the Capital Region sports fan. Hey, it's back for the Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa with Dr. Fred Dreer. My man, Dr. Dreer, here's the situation. I was the worst sleeper. I had severe sleep apnea. My snoring was a registered form of torture by, by at least six different sovereign nations. That's how bad my snoring was. 
My energy level was in the toilet. I was angry all the time. And it all just went right back to the fact that I wasn't sleeping. I just was, the snoring was too much. I would stop breathing in my sleep. I didn't want to do the mask. I didn't want to go have surgery. Luckily for me, Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa, Dr. Fred Drew had the answer. It's a custom-made mouthpiece that keeps my airway open. So the snoring is greatly reduced. I don't stop breathing because I'm getting all the air I need. And I don't have that, that compressor engine in the side of the room making all the noise with the mask. It is a win-win, win-win-win. The Integrative Sleep Center with Dr. Fred Dreer and Boston Spa, 518-885-6185. They're helping me sleep better. They're going to help you sleep better, too. It is the second hour here of LeVac and Gaz. We continue to roll on. LeVac is somewhere, I assume, at Epcot. He's somewhere going around the world at this point. We've brought back Brady Farkas for a second segment here, the pride of Shen, the pride of the Capital Region. We had your guy Matt Verderam on earlier. We continue with this Oswego love now. Look, you cover for your living, for your profession. You cover the Red Sox. You cover the Celtics. Let's start with the Celtics here first, though. They punch their ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals. They smoke the Philadelphia 76ers. As a New England sports Big J journalist, what does Game 7 mean more about, Boston or Philadelphia? I think it means more about the players involved than the cities involved or the organizations involved. I think it answers questions that we had about Jason Tatum. I think it affirms the narrative that we had about James Harden, and it continues to raise the questions about Joel Embiid. I mean... I don't think it's so much about the organizations per se or the cities or their histories or anything like that. I think it's about the principal pieces involved. Tatum was great. He answered a lot of questions. He silenced a lot of doubters and Harden was essentially a no show. And people are wondering why Embiid was essentially a no show as well. When you look at Philadelphia, I'm going to start there though. I think it's all great points right there about what those players are going to do for the future. I look at Philly and I think, boy, the trust the process thing. Maybe it's over. Maybe we don't have to do this for another two to five years. I look at how they built that roster thinking this is the way to do it. Blow it all up. Be great in the future. Are you ready to put the flowers on the grave that could be the trust the process mentality? Not just with the Sixers, but I'm talking maybe like in all of sports at the professional level. No, because sadly we have seen that the bottoming out to get good has worked. Now there are times where it doesn't work and there are times where it blows up in your face, but I think that the Houston Astros are a perfect testament of bottoming out, turning into a world champion and now sustained greatness. We saw the Chicago Cubs win a world series largely the same way. Now the sports have changed up the rules a little bit to make it more difficult to accomplish in that way. You know, baseball has different rules now on tanking and the draft lottery and you're not guaranteed to get the number one pick. And the NBA has always been like that. So it has been made it harder. You've been discouraged from doing it, but I think we have seen time and time again. Now it work where teams will bottom out, get high draft picks, trade players away, get salary relief, get high draft picks, And then when the time is right to strike, they will hope that they have drafted well enough and then have had enough savings over time that they can go and spend big on pieces. I think we have seen that work time and time again where it didn't work for Philly is that Ben Simmons didn't work for Philly. If Ben Simmons had worked for Philly and been the number one pick in the draft that they expected him to be, 
well, then we might be talking about them being multiple time Eastern Conference Finals participants and multiple time, you know, uh, NBA Finals champions, et cetera. So you have to do it right. Not everybody is the Houston Astros. The Chicago White Sox right now are a testament to that. The Cincinnati Reds right now are a testament to that of it not working. But when it works, boy, does it work. We know New York sports fans can be very tough when it comes to their coaches and their success or lack thereof, and they'll face criticism. New England sports fan is not much different, and we have a recent history of New England sports fans being critical of coaches that have come by organizations at the professional level. I'm very fascinated, though, by how Celtic fan views Doc Rivers. Yes, he helped the team win a championship, but Doc Rivers has had his disappointments, to say the least, in the postseason. How do you get the vibe of how Celtic fan and New England sports fan in general views Doc Rivers' legacy as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, I admittedly don't talk about it too much, but the last person I talked about Doc Rivers with basically said, Doc isn't a big game coach. He has the reputation. The reputation is fair. Anybody could have won with the Celtics' big three, and they were doing the the big three before anybody else was, so it was really just them on an island and, you know, he was kind of gift wrapped a title. That's people's perception of Doc. I don't follow Doc enough. I wasn't here when Doc was here, and I wasn't following the Clippers that closely when Doc was in LA. So, you know, I don't have a strong opinion on if he is, you know, bad at set plays. He's bad out of the timeouts. He doesn't do the proper. He doesn't have the proper starting lineup. I, I don't have that much of a gauge on Doc. I just feel bad when people's narrative when when there's a narrative about somebody. And I don't know that it's true. I mean, James Harden had nine points yesterday. Okay, Doc Rivers wasn't going to change that, right? James Harden purposely drove to the basket and kicked it out every time that he shot. He, he took 11 shots. He refused to get to the free throw line. I mean, that that's who management acquired. It's not a Doc Rivers thing. So is it fair for his career? Maybe. Is it fair for yesterday? Probably not. When the MVP gets 15 points, and I believe it's the largest drop-off in a Game 7 from an MVP to his points per game in the season to a Game 7. When your MVP does that and when Harden does that, I have a hard time blaming Doc Rivers. Brady Farkas joined us. You may have heard him in the past here in the Capital Region. Shen High School's own. You can follow him on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. The Payoff Pitch Podcast as well. Always great things Brady's providing for us. I got some questions about the Red Sox coming up, but I want to close with this on the Celtics. Jason Tatum and his legacy, and we talk about him as a basketball player and where his future could be. I look back at that dunk not too long ago and think, man, could you imagine? I'm talking about that series against LeBron. All of a sudden, him dunking over LeBron. If Boston had won that series, how different could we have viewed Jason Tatum? He struggles in Game 6. He comes back in Game 7 and has that type of performance. Brady, it feels like there's this level, and you know Nick Wright here on our Fox affiliate, people love talking about the superstar level, the great play. Tatum, 2022 and 2023, I think we need to start talking about him as what? Top 3? Top 4 player in the NBA right now? Uh, man, I, I don't know if I would go top three or top four. He's certainly top 10 and he's not 10. I mean, he's in the top 10. Um, the thing for him about answering the questions is one, the consistency and two kind of having what we saw yesterday, right? Like my biggest knock on Tatum and there haven't been many of them, but my biggest knock on Tatum has been that he kind of lacks the killer instinct. And that doesn't mean he's not competitive. And that doesn't mean that he's soft. 
I just think that Jason Tatum is a generally nice guy and is a generally quiet person. And there have been times where when you'd want to see the competitive fire come out, it does. Jalen Brown is the guy who I think lately, at least for me, like that's the guy I would have wanted with the ball on the line, needing to go and get a bucket because Jalen Brown has that competitive drive about him and he shows that outward emotion. So the question had been there about if Tatum has that in him. And yesterday silenced that, at least for me. I and mean, you come out off what you did in game six, and I think he was 0 for 13 to start in game six. At one point, he was definitely 1 for 14. Didn't score a field, you know, didn't have a field goal until the fourth quarter of uh, of game six. Comes out, gets 51 points, hits a bunch of threes. I think he had six of them, if I'm remembering correctly. He was hitting shots in guys' faces, tough shots. He let the game come to him. He showed that killer instinct, that that have to, that want to, that competitive drive, which is something that at least I had questioned about him. And I think a lot of people questioned that about him, you know, his ability to to bring it in big games. He was great last year in game six against Milwaukee, but that came off the heels of a bad game five for the Celtics again. So putting it all together, being consistent, doesn't have to be 51 every night, but, you know, got to be 27, 28 and efficient every night, and it hasn't always been that, but yesterday at least uh, answered a lot of questions for me well let's flip it over the boston red sox you're home for red sox baseball here in the capital region right here fox 95 9 980 103 hd2 all different ways you can listen to the boston red sox here locally red sox coming off that series against the cardinals st louis takes all three games and now as we speak the red sox have moved backwards now into last place in the al east when you've been evaluating this red sox team just coming off an absolute hot streak, look like a different team. Maybe early in the season, fans had questions. I'm struggling. I have to admit, I'm struggling to get a good hold of what this Red Sox team can be. Do you have a better grip on what we can expect from this Boston squad throughout this regular season? They're better than we thought they were. And I, and I thought or they're better than people thought they were. I thought the Red Sox all along were going to be better than their projections indicated. But I think the Red Sox are ultimately a fourth or fifth place team in the division. And it's unfortunate that they play in such a great division because I think you are going to see where they would be in second place in this division and they'd be two games out of first in that division. They're better than expected. The thing that has been good for them is that the starting rotation has been healthy, right? They they came in injured to start the season, but once everybody got rolling, They've been healthy enough, and that has allowed a lot of other things to happen, right? Because the bullpen has been a lot better. Jo- uh, Josh Winkowski has been excellent. Cutter Crawford, when he was healthy, had been excellent. We knew about Jansen. We knew about Chris Martin. What has happened is the rotation has stayed healthy, and it has allowed those swing guys to stay in the bullpen and strengthen the pen. If Sale had gotten hurt again, if uh, Kluber had gotten hurt again, then those swing guys would have had to move to the rotation. The rotation would have been worse. The bullpen would have been worse, but because the rotation has stayed largely healthy or at least healthy enough, it has allowed everybody to be in a role that is conducive to them. Yes. They've dealt with Paxton being out. He's now back. They dealt with Whitlock being, being out, but they've got Bayo now. So they've got five guys who should be starters at starters and it has allowed the bullpen guys to remain there which has certainly helped. With that being said, plus the Yankees now sitting in fourth place, but trying to find their footing with Judge getting healthy. The Baltimore Orioles are exciting brands of baseball. I know you had Kevin Brown on the podcast recently. Baltimore is so much yeah. fun to watch on social media. Toronto has always been active with their young talent and still trying to find where they pace in this division. Is it Tampa and everybody else in the sense of this team, the Tampa Bay Rays, 
can sit on top of this division maybe from now until September. I'm looking at Tampa and saying, man, everybody else is good, but Tampa's really good. Tampa is really good, but Tampa has real injury concerns, right? Jeffrey Springs is out for the year with Tommy John surgery. Drew Rasmussen is out for at least the next eight weeks. Imagine he's got to ramp up after that, so it's probably really three months, if even. He's got a flexor strain, which flexor strain leads to Tommy John surgery in my in my world. So I'm not sure we're going to see Rasmussen again this season. Tyler Glass now is a walking injury risk every time he takes the mound. He's going to come back, but how long is he going to be around for? So the Rays are really, really good, and I know it seems like they can just plug and play and be good, but every time you lose somebody, the questions become greater. Now, I would imagine they're they're locked into a playoff berth at this point by virtue of a good, of a great start, of a historic start. But I don't know that I'd pencil them in guaranteed for the division title, and I certainly wouldn't pencil them in for the pennant. I mean, Toronto is the team that I, I picked them to win the World Series at the beginning of the year. That lineup is so good. It's now so balanced. Brandon Belt is starting to hit. They got Kiermaier, so they've got... Righties and they've got lefties. Their pitching needs to figure it out a bit. Manoa hasn't been as good. Barrios was okay the other day, but he's really struggled since getting to Toronto, or at least getting the contract extension before last year. So Toronto is the team I think is actually the team I would fear the most come playoff time. Doesn't mean they're going to win the division, but that's the team that if I'm playing them, that's the team I'd want to play least. That's for sure. We've seen so many rule changes too in baseball here in 2023. The base is getting a bit bigger, not according to what Instagram has shown us, where there's absolute balloons, but they're not that big, but pitch clock. We've seen, and shift, we've seen so many things that have affected baseball overall, and the games have been shortened as well. I look at teams like Pittsburgh. I look at teams like Arizona. I know we just mentioned Baltimore. I've developed this theory that these bad teams in the past few years are teams that have benefited from the rule changes because some of these really good teams, we can mention the Yankees in this mix, maybe Houston as well, hey, we built our roster for this style of baseball. We can win like this. Now, all of a sudden, everything's changed. I've used a cross-sport comparison of it'd be like playing basketball, and right before the season started, they said, oh, by the way, we're doing a four-point play now. Somebody's going to benefit from a four-point play because they have a roster built for that. Have you seen that at all at some of these teams, especially the younger teams, or we can use the term rebuilding, might be teams benefiting from the 2023 rule changes? Um. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting thesis. I hadn't really thought about that. I think part of it, though, is that these younger teams, these real bit rebuilding teams, they've got more guys that came up through the minor leagues playing like this, right? Like, they, So this is not new to some of the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is not new to some of the Diamondbacks, right? These guys came up through the minors with some of these rules. Now, not everybody. Obviously, Andrew McCutcheon didn't come up through the, the minors playing like this, but they're these teams that have you know, rebuilt over the last few years and are giving opportunity to young players. These are guys who came up playing this way and they're more used to it. And this was something that they were more kind of indoctrinated with. So it is interesting though, to see the split. You look at the teams that we thought would be really good or the teams that were really good last year. Phillies are struggling. Mariners are struggling. Padres are struggling. They're all around 500, just over, just under Houston is struggling. And then you got teams like Pittsburgh and Arizona and, uh, some of these nice stories. We'll see if they can last, but you know, these teams that uh, weren't good last year that are turning around this year, it's been a fascinating early season as we hit the quarter pole. He is Brady Farkas. He is back in the capital region talking sports. It is so good to have him. We had him for the top four at four. We've got him again, Brady. Now that Levac could be lost over the next few days, 
please do not turn off your phone on me. Keep your camera up. I have a feeling this won't be the last time we hear this voice on Fox 95, 9 to 980. So if you don't mind, I might call you a few more times this week. No, please do. I always look forward to, uh, you know, I've only ever been back on in Albany. It's been now seven years. Seven years? Since I left. It's been, this will be seven years this September. So six and a half years. It's been six and a half years since I was last on Albany radio. I've gotten one call ever from a radio or TV station in that time. So if you bring me on later this week, you'll double uh, the rate of times I've been heard in the 518 in the last six and a half years. It's done. You will be back tomorrow. Same time right here. I'll talk to you tomorrow, my friend. Sounds good, buddy. Look forward to it. We got more on the way. We're going to close out this episode of LeVac and Goss. We got the play of the day. Thanks to Mohawk Chevrolet. That's all coming up next here on Fox 95, 9 and 980. Hey, it's LeVac from Mohawk Chevrolet. I love Mohawk Chevy with the new vehicles. I have a great uh, just average of finding great vehicles. I'm batting a thousand going to Mohawk Chevrolet with my Silverados and all those things. But now Mohawk Chevrolet is introducing Car Bravo. Forget what you know about buying and owning used vehicles. Car Bravo has changed the game. You can choose any make or model, not just Chevrolet, whether it be Ford, BMW, Nissan, Jeep, whatever it is. If you can name it, you can buy it certified from Mohawk Chevrolet. Check out these amazing features from Car Bravo. At-home test drives available upon request. Buy or sell your vehicle from the comfort of your home, the dealership, or even the beach. Delivery to your front door or location of your choice. Guaranteed limited warranty on any make or model. Backed and serviced by trusted the trusted automotive dealer and leader. Mohawk Chevrolet, 126-point inspection, free Carfax vehicle history report, roadside assistance anytime, day or night, courtesy transportation during a warranty repair. Car Bravo, the latest way to find new roads and go out of your way. The latest way to find new roads at Mohawk Chevrolet where they go out of their way to please you. It's LeVac and Gaz on the voice of the Capital Region sports fan, Fox Sports 95.9 and 980. You can connect with Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980 anywhere. Download the free iHeart app and you can listen if you're hitting those summer road trips on the way and more. You can listen to us no matter where you are across upstate New York. Make sure to download that as well so you can take pics with you wherever you want to go. Follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And on that iHeart app as well, you can leave a message so we can get to you during the show Two, we got our play of the day coming up. Gaz here with you. LeVac has been in and out of the show. He's going to be like that throughout the week. He's enjoying his time in Florida, so you can always reach out to him as well. See what he's up to at the Jeff LeVac. But we got some great stuff coming up this week. I want to get to this tweet. If you're a college football fan, we've got some interesting news here involving the college football landscape. This is coming from the stadium's Brett McMurphy. Brett McMurphy just tweeted this out. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are being called the, quote, Magnificent Seven ACC schools, according to the Action Network as well. These schools have met in the past several months with lawyers trying to figure out a way they can get out of the ACC deal that runs through 2036. So if you haven't been following this story or the college football or college athletics landscapes changing in particular, ESPN way back when signed a media rights deal with the ACC that, as Brett McMurphy just reminded us, 
runs till 2036. 2036. Worth repeating there because why? Who signed a 20-year media deal? Who signed a media deal that went decade upon decade? Well, why the athletic directors do things like that is it because they can kind of rest on their laurels a little bit and say, hey, I made the conference a ton of money. This is a safe deal. We'll be fine for the future. Everything will be good. We're locked in. We can't move. We're going to make money and money and money years and years to come. Yeah, we didn't really factor in how much money, though, because we can make more now. NIL has changed the landscape of the college football world. The expanding media rights from traditional media companies who air college football games has changed. And everybody wants a piece of the pie for some of the reasons, including not only do we get a cut of media rights, but also some of that money could be used to buy players, to be blunt about it. Hey, if our football budget expands, our roster can get better. We can find ways through NIL and more to improve our college football program for the future and thus make the university more money. That's what these schools, again, football-heavy schools in Clemson, Florida State, Miami, both Carolina schools, Virginia and Virginia Tech, are hoping to do. I'm a little confused by it, though, as someone who follows college football. So where are they going to go? Oh, you could say, guys, they're going to the SEC or the Big Ten. But eventually, isn't there going to be a point where there's too many teams? Am I just being naive as a college football fan? Am I just ignoring how much money they really care about making? Because the college football fan in me thinks, okay, maybe the most you can have in a conference is 16. Because you can play we'll say seven conference games, maybe three crossovers in two games, non-conference. All right, there's your 12-game schedule. If you start getting to 20 or 18, how do you balance the divisions? How do you figure out who you're going to play? How do you figure out if you can still hit 12? Well, maybe that's the backwards thinking by me that I don't understand. Maybe college football conferences don't care about how many more games they have to play. What I mean by that is, hey, they're already getting paid through NIL and scholarships. It used to be 12. Now it's 13. Now it's 14. You're going to play a non-conference game in this state. We're going to make this on this network. You're going to play on a Tuesday. All those rules that I've traditionally known about have all changed post-COVID. Hell, they might have changed post-conference realignment a decade plus ago. I would like to see college football go back to the days of the rivalries and the big-time non-conference games and more with an expanded playoff on the way. You would hope that these bigger marquee games would impact the season. I hope they do. But it seems like these schools, those ACC schools, the Pac-12 schools that are heading to the Big Ten, and the schools that have already made the moves in the past have had foresight into what this actually could mean for college athletics. That maybe a three-loss SEC school will give the benefit of the doubt. Hey, you're Texas. Hey, you're USC. You guys are a traditional power. We're more likely to take a two- or three-loss traditional power to a team that makes tons and tons of money over a one-loss Oklahoma State or a two-loss Louisville. Maybe that's the future that I didn't understand. I'm surprised they all want to just bounce and run. Because it seems as if we've heard multiple times from the ACC these 
fake coalitions. Oh, remember the ACC coalition? Remember that? We're the ACC. We're going to stick together no matter what. Even when everyone tries to poach our schools. Where'd that coalition go? I see reports coming from Florida that the AD just flat out said, yeah, Florida State wants out. I heard another report that said Florida State, one of the reasons they want out is, quote, it's ridiculous that UCF can make as much money as us. We can't let that happen. Florida State is that thought out that they don't even want to get Central Florida close to making as much money as them as Central Florida's had some success. And by the way, Florida State's going to be really good this season. Realignment, conference jumping, and more is still possible in the college football landscape. And we continue to see that move more and more at the NCAA future. What is it? Four conferences, three conferences, two conferences, 15 games. None of that stuff is off the table. Slovak Goss here with you on Fox Sports Radio 95.9980. It is time. I'm going to do a little drum roll here <laughs> for our play of the day. Play of the day brought to you by our friends at Mohawk Chevrolet. We are going to be at Mohawk Chevrolet, by the way, on May 25th. So mark that on your calendar. That is going to be our first live show out in the Capital Region. Put it on your calendar right now. We're going to be at Mohawk Chevrolet on May 25th. That is a Thursday. Come join us. We're going to be live on location, seeing all our great friends over at Mohawk Chevrolet. So again, 3 to 5 o'clock, Mohawk Chevrolet, our first live remote show, Thursday, May 25th. Mohawk Chevrolet brings the play of the day. I've been on fire. I have been on fire, so take this with what you want to do. You can either fade me thinking, guys, you're eventually going to flame out, or you can ride the hot streak. Now, my hot streak's been more with the NBA than any other sport. That's where I've been I believe it's 80%. Our guy Ryan on Twitter can check me on that Excel sheet. I'm about 80% right now in the first two weeks of the show as we enter week three right now on the radio side. But there's no NBA action tonight. So I'm not going to pick an NBA game. I'll hold those NBA picks for later in the week. Instead, I'm eyeing this matchup. I'm looking at my Baltimore Orioles, my squad, taking on the Los Angeles Angels. Reports are that Mike Trout may or may not be in the lineup. If you're a fantasy baseball player like me, you might see the D2D tag next to Mike Trout if you've got him in your lineup. So we'll see if Mike Trout gets the start. He is going to get the start. So with Trout, we'll call it less than 100% in center field, batting second. You've got Shohei Otani on the mound. You've got Grayson Rodriguez pitching for the Orioles. Isn't it time for an over? Right? Like, every reason tells you to go the under in this matchup because Baltimore's been playing really good. The Angels struggled to find offense outside of Trout and Otani. This game's in Camden Yards where the Orioles have been playing really well. It's about an even game. Runs, baby. It's all about runs tonight. Hunter Renfro batting cleanup for the Angels tonight. I want to see runs out of both these teams. The one reason Baltimore's had success, we mentioned this with Brady Farkas earlier in the show, and if you're a fan of a team that's younger, one of the reasons we found teams to have success is that they are using these new roles to their advantage. Stealing more bases, finding more speed in a lineup, being a bit more aggressive on the base pass and with no shift anymore, finding the ways to plug through a defense. Baltimore's been a great example of this, and they've been super exciting. Cedric Mullins again with that cycle this past weekend. So I get that mix in Baltimore, plus I get the Angels offense looking to make something happen in that division. That is my play of the night over 
eight total runs in the Angels Orioles matchup on Major League Baseball's slate of games tonight. Thank you to Mohawk Chevrolet, and hopefully we cash that ticket. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we are going to have another one of our favorite voices and another Capital Region locally-based voice, well, at least back in the past, Shaker High School Zone. We had a Shen Love with Brady today. We're going to a little Shaker Love tomorrow with another Sports Illustrated writer. Kevin Sweeney is going to join us tomorrow. Kevin Sweeney covers college basketball for Sports Illustrated. But if you're a Hoops fan, if you're an NBA fan, there is some hype around Victor Webinyana. Some have called him the next LeBron James. So don't. Don't drive off the road quite yet. I know you've heard that comparison about a hundred times about NBA draft lotteries and everything else, but if you were to grab a video game controller and hop on NBA 2K and create a fake player, you'd make him seven foot five who could shoot, who could dunk, who could run, who could pass. Who could... This guy's a real life person, and he plays pro ball right now across the pond. The Victor Webinyana sweepstakes winner will be found out tomorrow when the NBA draft lottery goes down. What other players could potentially New York teams have in mind and more? Kevin Sweeney is going to give us all that information tomorrow when he joins us to preview this tomorrow's tomorrow's NBA draft lottery. This year's draft lottery it should be a lot of fun. And throughout the week, don't forget as well, we've got some PGA championship previews coming up. We've got some more NBA talk, a lot of good stuff on the way this week. And who knows? We may get some more calls from beautiful Orlando, Florida. Where in the world is LeVac? First two weeks of the show, we've tried to do the mystery of who is Antonio Alala. Now it's where is LeVac? I saw Kyle on Twitter shared a picture of him finding Scott Van Pelt at Oak Hill out in Rochester. Grab a selfie with LeVac or see if you can find him or send me his social media posts as he enjoys that, and who knows how often he's going to pop up here and share some things he's seen down there. By the way, great time to be a Florida sports fan, right? Florida Panthers with the upset. Miami in the Final Four in college basketball. Florida Atlantic in the Final Four in college basketball. The Miami Heat go to the conference finals in the NBA. Great time to be a Florida sports fan. All right, that's all coming up tomorrow. Covino and Rich, we love these guys. So much fun. Give them a listen coming up. Covino and Rich is on the way. And then coming up, Boston Red Sox baseball right here on your home for the Red Sox. The Red Sox pregame, the Red Sox first pitch, all that fun stuff is on the way. Our coverage gets away at 6-10. First pitch set for 7-10 as the Red Sox host the Mariners. We're back tomorrow. So the back and guys, enjoy some Carvino and Rich and Red Sox baseball right here on The Voice of the Capital Region Sports Fan, Fox Sports 95.9 and 980. This report is sponsored by Bank of America.